Hello, and welcome to the February 13th, 2019 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is amazing to have everybody here with me today, and of course, it is always wonderful to be out there with you as well. I have such a sense of urgency, such a sense of anxiety, not a bad anxiety, but a good anxiety, because I am so excited to be sitting alone with my headset on and my recording device and back together with my family. And what I've recognized is that I absolutely do love life, especially when I'm hypomanic, (laughs) okay? Um, Depressed, not so much, but I love life. I love my children. I love my wife. I love my family. But there is nothing that I love more than being in your home or on your own device or within your eardrum. And I don't have to say this. And the God's honest truth is, if I didn't mean it, I simply just would leave it out. And I wouldn't say a word. But I'm starting to realize that as far-fetched as this may sound, the most complacent, or the most, maybe the proper word, is the most at ease that I ever feel is when I am speaking to you and we are together. And without you in my life, what I want everybody to understand is that there is a sense of anxiety, to use that word once again, that is built up within me when I do not speak with you. And I know you might find this hard to believe, but let's look at Mr. Joe's personality and some of the things that's quote-unquote wrong with me. And I think we all know that there is a component of obsessive-compulsive disorder. Obviously, there's bipolar disorder. There's a variety of mental health issues with Mr. Joe. I believe that I do have, um, if, if I was to, lack of a better terms, a touch of borderline personality disorder. And it's not a made-up lie when I sit here and say that when I go throughout a day or throughout two days and I haven't recorded and spoken to you, that the fact that I have not been able to produce a podcast usually pops into my mind at least once per hour. And I become anxious and I become worried, essentially, that I am not treating you all the way that you deserve to be treated and giving you what we both need. And that is my voice. And I hope that doesn't sound too um, too conceited or overconfident, but what I refer to when I say my voice is really not even my knowledge, not even my content, just the support 
it's really just the support the overall support is what we all need and when I'm not there to fulfill my obligations to you it really really upsets me and unfortunately I suffer I suffer throughout the day and to the point where everybody like when I close my eyes at night I think about it I think about the fact that I didn't record and I didn't have an opportunity and then uh, obsessively I want to jump out of bed and run up into my younger son's room since he's upstairs now and again we'll get to that in a minute um and record but then i realize you know i'm gonna delve too far into my bedtime and that is a risky proposition to say the least especially based on some of the end results of my lack of sleep over the past week or so so before we get into that, let's just speak about Mr. Joe's mental health overall. Uh, we'll make it brief. We'll make it um, straight and to the point. My mental health, other than today, which happens to be a, ra- a relatively good day, my mental health has consisted of mainly rapid cycling, uh, ups and downs, they continue to take place, and I've come to the determination based on some of the things that have taken place in terms of symptomatic um, symptomatic feelings or results, whatever you want to call it, that it is without a shadow of a doubt that marijuana had very little to do, if anything at all, to do with my mood fluctuations and some of the delusions and the hallucinations and the paranoia that unfortunately had set in and you know we always try to look for reasons as to why we are feeling a certain way and let's just get down to it i think it's pretty simple and it's the fact that we have bipolar disorder and the content of this particular podcast will unfortunately or fortunately focus on myself what else is new i hope nobody takes um any offense to that because i'm hoping that you gain some insight some some knowledge based on some of my experiences that i've said over and over again but it's it's a rather simple thing going on here guys i have bipolar disorder that's it so do you we all have it Uh, most of us anyway who's listening to this podcast we have bipolar disorder and it's important that we never lose sight of that and sometimes mr joe tends to lose sight of that and i don't want to sit here and say that i feel like i've recovered because there is no such thing when it comes to bipolar disorder regardless of what we might read or what people might say but because i'm sometimes feeling so well and um, the times when I'm not I recognize that I've introduced different things in my life such as marijuana I am so quick to blame things just real life things or um, real life incidents or real life things that I might engage in and try to be the sole cause or the root of why my mood is fluctuated when when in fact it's actually rather simple i have bipolar disorder now certain things don't help mainly and we've talked about this probably a zillion times is the idea of stress so 
since Mr. Joe's ultra-rapid cycling has been in effect, probably since um, mid-last week, I would say, stress has been, without a doubt, probably the biggest component of why my... Um, why my moods have become the way that they have. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's a tremendous amount of stress with my job. I don't want to get into particulars at all, um, but, but there is stress. Is it good stress? For the most part, is it, it's work. It's, it's what life is all about. It's what we try to, you know, try to uh, keep chugging along and keep doing, which... By the way, it's interesting, and I'm going to go a little bit off topic, based on job stability and maintaining a job and holding down a job. It's funny because I thought this morning about some of the career moves that I've made, the termination or whatever you want to call it, the resignation and my inability to be consistent with my own business situation when I first started, and I believe I've reported on this, where I was excessively absent in one of the private schools that I had worked in. And as I'm thinking, I'm saying to myself, and I, and I used three of my best friends, and when I say best friends, they truly are my best friends. I have three friends in particular. Um, I'm sorry, one, two, three, four. I apologize, but this, the content of this statement is, involves only three of my friends. But I have four friends that I essentially grew up with since childbirth. And um, they're still my friends today. So to say that for 43 years, that's pretty something That's something pretty special. Because a lot of us are lucky, and you know, my parents used to say it all the time, if you have one friend, by the time you're an, you know, an, an older adult, consider yourself lucky. Well, I have four. And... Let me get down to it. What I had thought about, I was talking, thinking about my job, and I was thinking about my last text message that I had with my friends where a couple of them had commented about how proud they were of me because last week I produced something pretty special. With my job, based on the stress that I was speaking of, there are a lot of components other than just running a business. I am a huge part of, I guess, what you would call the marketing aspect in which I have to be on film quite a bit, and my friends happened to see something that was produced by my company uh, that had quite a few viewers and some tremendous feedback, and uh, my friends gave me some feedback. So I was thinking about that this morning, and then it led me to think about my job and how many times I've switched over. <laughs> you know, relatively the same career, obviously, but different places that I've been. And then I thought about my buddies, and I said, man... Friend number one has literally been with his job for 13 years, and he's not going anywhere. Friend number two has probably been close to 19 years. And then friend number three, at least a decade. And all three of those friends, i got to tell you, if you were to put a gun to my head and say, what is your... what is your prediction? Are those three friends going to be in the same job that they have today when they are ready to retire. And if you put a gun to my head, my answer would be yes. And in summary, that is the difference between us and them. Us being the bipolar and them being the typical person in our world. 
we suck. <laughs> I mean, we just suck. I mean, you know, I, I hate to use those words, but man, if you are struggling right now with a job and holding one down and making it to work, I could not understand any better. I get it. I understand it. I don't have a solution for it. It's just something that is the way it is based on our disorder. And it's unfortunate. It really is. So while I'm grateful that I am in a position of, I guess, stability, once again, it's a stressful job. And doing a good job and making money and supporting your family, I guess, comes with the simple obligation of making it work in your workplace and producing and making sure that you are stable yourself within your own employment and I'm grateful that I am but I can completely understand how those of us with bipolar are not so stress on the job has certainly led to some of my mood instability my ex-wife we've talked about her a million times honestly everybody I, I don't understand how a woman has literally nothing better to do like nothing better to do she's got a boyfriend She's living in my home with my name on the house, on the deed, and the mortgage. We've been apart for seven years, six years, little between six and seven. I've been married for years now. I have another child, and yet this woman continues to find it necessary to torture me. And here's what I've decided, everybody, just so everybody is aware. Out of the goodness of my heart and the fact that this is what is required by law, I have decided to sit down and appropriately calculate, based on my current salary, exactly how much I owe my ex-wife in terms of child support. And it's more than what I'm paying her now based on an increase in salary that I just received. And I could hide that and I could get away with it. And my wife and I could be living a little bit more comfortably. But you know what? I'm going to do the right thing. And there are not a lot of men on this planet that would do what I'm doing. But I am going to literally sit down with her, expose my salary to her, and figure out what 25% of it is. Because that's what I owe her, unfortunately. So, um, I, and you know what? It's... It, it, not only is it out of the goodness of my heart, it's, I don't want to call it a manipulative tool, but there is, a, there is an ulterior motive there, which is, I want her to leave me the hell alone. And unfortunately, my wife does not think that it's going to work. But you know what? It's worth a shot, and hopefully, if anything at all, it'll keep us out of court. Uh, so that, that conversation with my ex-wife, in conjunction with the way that she treats me through text messages, of course, has me stressed out. Now, my wife, on the other hand, I got to tell you guys, not yesterday, but two days ago, one of the reasons why I haven't been around to podcast is she called me up from home while I was at work and she told me that she had vomited. And that was about 4.30 my time. And one of the things I actually just left out is the night before she actually vomited about 3 a.m., and we kind of thought nothing of it, thought maybe it was just normal third trimester. She's in her 35th week of her pregnancy, close to her 36th. And, you know, we know about morning sickness in the beginning, but 
you know, maybe it's something that's normal towards the end. She didn't experience it the first time, but every pregnancy is different. And not only did she start complaining about um, vomiting, but she indicated to me that she was extremely tired. She was, she had walking around with the chills all day long. And immediately, what does a person think about? Well, a little bit of a stomach bug, a flu. Until I walked into my home about 5.30 my time, and my wife was on the couch holding her stomach with glassy eyes and said to me, Mr. Husband Joe, this is the worst pain that I've ever been in in my entire life. And let me explain something to you all out there. My wife is one of the strongest people I know, honestly. Not only emotionally and mentally, and you have to assume so based on the fact that she has to deal with me, um, but physically, too. She's an amazingly powerful woman. Like She's got an amazing threshold for pain. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So when your wife, who you know is like this, tells you that she's in more pain than she's ever been in her entire life, you start to get nervous. And especially when you're looking at a pregnant belly that is holding your soon-to-be child. Immediately, I said, call your doctor. And I knew what their answer was going to be, and the answer was exactly what I predicted. It was go to the hospital. So what do we do? We call her sister. Her sister rushes over. She stays with my little guy, Mickey, and my wife and I venture out to the hospital. And not to mention the fact that we were there until midnight, which, of course, not only disrupts Mr. Joe's sleep, but basically puts me into an entirely different dimension. Um, Just the overall stress of wondering what is going on and what is happening and is the baby okay and what it comes down to, everybody is, the baby is fine, and believe it or not, my wife is fine. They, they diagnosed her as being viral, and also the pains, severe pains, were actually coming from dehydration. But you can never be too careful when it comes to your pregnancy, so that's what we made sure that we did. And as you can imagine, even though it was good news, in the end, you're talking about a very stressful situation, which leads me... To the other stressful situation, which happens to be my little guy, who has made the transition up into my older son's room, and my older son is now downstairs, and my little guy, Mickey, who's 21 months old, is sleeping pretty far away from us now, and he he did very well in the beginning. He slept through the night like he always did, a couple of incidents here and there, but I have to tell you, over the course of the past three or four days, he has been an absolute Nightmare. He's waking up at 3 a.m. Uh, actually, last night he woke up at 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. And based on my wife's current condition, and regardless of whether or not she's feeling better, she's she's big, guys. I mean, she's a big, big, big-bellied woman right now, and I don't mean that in a mean way. You know, she's not a she's not an overweight woman to begin with, but she's gigantic. That baby is going to be gigantic, I have a feeling. So she's struggling. She's struggling. And she's hardly sleeping, nor am I. But, you know, um, when it comes to my medical condition and her pregnancy, I put myself last, always. And 
with my son waking up in the middle of the night, I refused to allow my wife to go up there and attend to him, and I've been the one doing it. And I'll give you an example of how it goes. It's basically the cry. I hear it over the monitor. I stand up. I put a sweatshirt on, put my slippers on. I curse. I say this, M effer. I said, when is he going to give me a break? I just can't believe it. I just can't even catch a break. My mental health is going to... I'm going to end up in a hospital. These are the things that I say, which I would, I would imagine are probably not too comforting to my wife, who's not sleeping because she's hearing the crying also. And when I'm done with my pouting, I walk upstairs... My son is screaming, Mommy, Mommy's bed, Daddy's bed, where are the girls? Where are they speaking in complete full sentences now at 21 months? It is completely, absolutely frightening how smart this young man is. It's, it's, it's concerning. Not to mention the fact that my daughter, by the way, is nearing an average, a cumulative average, which was at one time 97. It is now over the 100 mark. I don't even know how it's possible. I guess because when you get a phone call from your daughter that says, Hey, Dad, guess what I got on my science test today? 110. And guess what I got on my math test? Uh, 103. And, and, you know, 99. I guess your average could be over 100, you know, with bonuses and all that stuff. So my son's pretty damn smart. So he's trying to negotiate with me to come down. And he's screaming and crying and Mr. Joe picks him up, and he's flip-flopping in my arms and trying to get down, and I'm holding him, and I'm in a rocking chair, and he's bending his body back. Daddy's bed! Daddy's bed! That goes on for about 30 seconds. Believe me, my son could go on for hours, but I think because it's so late and he's so tired, he kind of just gives up. His OCD then kicks in based on our... Um, turn of events that is for the most part similar every single night meaning we go in the rocking chair and he goes to the crib he points to the crib and lets me know so again example last night once he calms down he lays in my arms or on my chest with his head on my shoulder for a few minutes while we're in the rocking chair and then he pops up and he points to the crib and goes go to bed I said okay and I put him in the bed and now what does he come up with? Daddy stay. <laughs> so what does daddy do? Like a complete moron, you would think that he would learn from his last two children because he did the same thing. Daddy is now camping out on the floor, okay? And making sure that my son has a complete vision of me in sight. And those of you who are parents have all been here before. You know what it's like to sneak out of the room to know exactly where every crack and cranny and noise is on the floor that you're walking on just to make sure that you don't make any noise and wake anybody while you're walking out. Uh, you know, how, how is your door going to swing open? Is it going to creak? Is it going to crack? Is somebody going to wake up? Well, let me just say this, that... Um, it, it, that didn't matter because about every five to seven minutes, that little you-know-what would stick his head out the crib and look for me. And I just kept saying to myself, I mean, you know, we're 15 minutes in. Give him another five. The kid's exhausted. He's got to be got to be exhausted. He's going to go to bed. And it's 3.30. He's still peeking up at me. And it's 3.40. And 
I'm saying to myself, oh, dear God, when is this kid going to go to sleep? Now I make a comment to him because I figure I might as well talk to him. I mean, and, and let him know that I know he's looking at me and that this is unacceptable. And I say to him, go to bed. We're all sleeping. Everybody wants to sleep. Daddy wants to go to sleep. So he puts his head down again. Now it's 4 a.m. and the kid's eyes are basically shutting and I haven't seen them open up again. So Mr. Joe sneaks out of the room, gets down in bed, snuggles under the blankets. Both dogs run up to me. They snuggle inside me. And then all of a sudden, wah, wah, and there he is again. And finally, my actually, my wife woke up. She's like, that's it. I can't take it anymore. I'm going to get him. <laughs> Worst thing you could do. Parents, it is parenting 101. When they cry because they want to come into your bed, let them cry. Don't put them in your bed. You would think as a behavior analyst, as a behavior specialist, behavior consultant, Mr. Joe would follow his own rules. Well, I don't. Because sometimes you just want to sleep so bad that you break all the rules just to get a couple of extra hours. And as you could see, based on all of the things that have gone on, the lack of sleep, the unnecessary stresses within my life, um, I have every right to be a ultra-rapid cycling bipolar wackadoo. And that's exactly what I've been. And what have the results been of these stressful situations? Well, I'll give you two, two examples. And the second one will be the topic of our podcast, which is now going on 26 minutes. Mr. Joe has not shut up. Um, two results. Well, result number one, I called my mom and I cried my eyes out on the way home one day from work. I was depressed. I was hysterical. And you want to know something? My mom, she listened to every word I said. She actually commented also on one of the, I guess you could call it, televised events that I was on in which I presented on a specific topic and my mother actually said to me you know what Mr. Sun Joe you know when you tell me these things as a son it never really registered but now that I watch you as a professional I can't believe how much stuff I learned and how much I realize about myself now so thank you for that and at the same time she's saying that she's listening to me cry and tell her mom I'm on the edge, the brink of a disaster, and my mental health is suffering, and you know what? I don't see my kids for a week, and I miss them so desperately. So I can't imagine what my mother feels like, mental illness or not, based on the fact that she had lost her son, meaning me, and no longer has her daughter in her life for an extended period of time. And what I've realized, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again, she is still my mother, mentally ill or not, and no matter what, she's going to listen to me, and she's going to do her best to support me. And you want to know something else, what I truly feel and believe, because I know I feel like this about my own children, whatever pain I'm enduring... I believe my mom is enduring as well, and my father for that matter. And I don't agree with their lifestyle. I don't agree with their alcohol consumption. I don't agree with my mother's inability to get herself the help that she needs. But you know what? They're still my parents. And I, and I love them very, very much. I do. And I will make sure that 
there is never a situation in my life again where I dismiss them from my life because you know what we all need our parents to some extent and I was under the full assumption that I did not and I went years years without speaking to my mother orders of protection and podcasts produced tapes played and I won't forget any of those things nor do I expect any of you to forget the fact that she was calling my sister names I'll never forgive her for that well I shouldn't say that I'll never forget it but you gotta learn to forgive it or at least you gotta learn to work around it and try to recognize the good and the bad and embrace the good when it takes place and you know when it's bad just try to walk away the best that you can until it's good again and uh, so one result obviously of stress was me breaking down and crying hysterically to my mother while I was driving home from work one day number two and this is not a fun one everybody this is a rough one and I'm going to give you an example of what I've gone through over the past week other than today hallucinations everybody and here's the thing and what has me scared more than anything is I have been specifically hallucinating during my driving and that is really scary and sometimes we don't even realize we're hallucinating because things seem so real to us so I would imagine there's been hallucinations that I've had that I didn't even know were fake and I just consider them to be real these hallucinations however you know you get to a point in life where you just know that people walking with no heads on their shoulders is not real and I've been driving the past week or so and a couple of things that I've been dealing with are random spotlights all over the place literally just spotlights silver blue red all kinds of spotty lights that are just shining in my face randomly people with no heads on their shoulders walking out of wooded areas into the street where I'm driving forcing me to slam on my brakes uh, who the hell deals with something like that I know they're not real because the odds of me seeing one person with out a head on their shoulder is slim to none let alone driving onto the next block and seeing another person with no head on their shoulders so I mean let's be real and you know it's almost like you shake your head and try to like just just wake up and I couldn't I mean they just kept coming and I've spoken about this other hallucination before and I will call this a tactile hallucination and the real definition of a tactile hallucination just so everybody understands tactile that means touch that's actually the um, I guess you could say the more professional or more um, dictionary based word for touch tactile and really what it is when you're talking about tactile hallucinations it's the make-believe or false perception of tactile or touching sensory input that creates a hallucinatory if that's a word a hallucinatory sensation or feeling of actual physical contact with something that does not exist call it an imaginary object if you will 
And I've talked about me driving in the past, and we stay with the driving, unfortunately. Even with the visual hallucinations that I've been having, I've been having these tactile hallucinations as well, very similar to the ones that I've reported on in the past while I'm driving. And I feel a person pushing into my back seat to the point where it's almost like their fist is up in the seat and they're pushing and they're pushing. And then I feel them reaching around and grabbing me. And I, I, obviously I know nobody's in there, not real, but I find myself yelling at this particular person <laughs> who doesn't exist because it is so frightening and so scary. And there are some times where I just say, I look up while I'm driving, I say, God, I said, how is this even happening to me? I know there's nobody touching me, nobody pushing into me. Uh, so while it's not the exact definition of contact with an imaginary object, uh, I'm, I'm hallucinating tactile-wise with an imaginary person. It's insane. And here, finally, is... I know I said two things, but I'm going to give you a third. A third thing that has been going on, which is probably the most disturbing of all, which has taken place, and it actually took place last night, right in front of my refrigerator. I remember it like it was yesterday, because it was yesterday, and <laughs> because it is so scary when this goes on. For those of you who have never, and I've talked about this in the past, have dealt with depersonalization disorder. It is extremely frightening. And when Mr. Joe is on all the wrong medications and smoking marijuana and drinking too much coffee and taking too much Xanax, I used to go through what we call depersonalization disorder all the time where I would literally float up out of my body and watch myself in action. It's the only way I could describe it. And for the most part, when I would come to afterwards, I would be more scared then than when I was floating, if that makes any sense. Because I couldn't believe what just went on. However, when I was depersonalized or in the moment of floating, I kind of had no choice but just to observe myself and observe the things that were going on. Well, last night, Mr. Joe had an episode with his youngest guy, Mickey, at the refrigerator, in which my entire body left my soul, my being, my personality, my physical wherewithal literally rose up out of my body, which immediately made me com completely anxious to the point where I looked at my wife and I knew what was happening. And I said to her, I don't know what's happening because it was so scary. I knew what was happening, but I didn't want her to be scared. And I said, babe, I don't know what's happening right now. I don't feel right. Can you get him milk? Because he wanted milk in a sippy cup. And all I could see was myself struggling at the refrigerator, trying to open the door, trying to locate the milk, doing all this, but not really doing it because I wasn't within myself. I was watching myself do it. And in comparison to what I used to go through where I was able to kind of just sit and watch myself be a little scared the first time but essentially get used to it and then get really freaked out when I came to like I said I freaked out so badly guys last night I mean I literally almost set myself into the very first panic attack that I've had in probably since I'm 20 years old or that, that time that I've discussed where I was 
having panic attacks for nine months. Yes, Mr. Joe still has anxiety like all of you, but I don't suffer from panic attacks anymore. Well, I gave myself at least the start of a panic attack, and I got to tell you that had I not have jumped back into my body sooner, um, I would have probably had a full-fledged panic attack that took place to the point where I felt the shortness of breath, the heartbeats, everything, but it was so intense because it wasn't me feeling it. It was me watching me feel it. And and I know it sounds crazy, everybody. I know, and that's what we are. We're crazy, wackadoo people, we are. But that's some of the stuff that Mr. Joe has been dealing with. I've been floating out of my body. And again, I'm not using any marijuana. This is not Mr. Joe chomping on gummy bears, okay? Meaning gummy edible bears. <laughs> or, you know, smoking double OG, or, um, what's the other one that, uh, I got from my father at one point in time, let's see, there was double OG, there was granddaddy perps, <laughs> Girl Scout cookies, um, there was another one, man, that this, uh, guy had from a specific medical dispensary. Um, who, by the way, is completely legal to sell. I mean, it's not, you know, the only thing that he is able to do is he allows people to avoid taxes. So I guess it's not so legal, but what I'm trying to say is he's not hanging out on the street corner. He's got a wide variety of marijuana, none in which I've taken part in and indulged in. And yet Mr. Joe is still a freak of nature. I'm still a wackadoo man. And... Again, what does it come down to? Well, it's very, very, very simple. I have bipolar disorder. And I need to recognize that and understand that. And most importantly, get in touch with my doctor and let her know how I'm feeling. And forget about the fact that I already know she's going to start talking about new medications. Okay? I already know it. I already know it. It is what it is. And I got to tell you, while, I, while I'm... Here's why I'm torn. Because when you feel stable, which I feel right now, I think about my encounter with my doctor and her putting me on medication and me feeling worse on that medication that I currently feel right now, but forgetting about the fact that it's very possible that the new medication could have made me feel better in comparison to all the things I just complained about. But because I'm feeling well, I'm afraid to go on new medication. Now, let's put it, let me tell you this, which is one of the reasons why bipolar disorder is also so difficult. Because if, in my opinion, one of the first times we should be contacting our doctors is when we feel some of this stuff coming on. Like right when it happens. Not wait, not play it out. Not like give it a day and let's see how I feel tomorrow and then I'll call my doctor. It's almost like the minute I floated out of my, do my body, I should have wrote an email to my doctor because those are the times when you're seeking help because you feel so crappy and because you have no answers and because you would rather feel better than what you're feeling at that current moment. Yet, for some reason, we choose not to, at least the vast majority of us, and we put it on our to-do list 
for the next day, assuming that we're still going to feel like crap. And perfect example, I haven't reached out to my doctor yet. And why? Because I feel good today. And that is exactly where we get ourselves into trouble. And it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Uh, so my, my, my duty here is to hit stop, call my doctor, make an appointment, explain what's going on, and you don't want something else. And whether it makes me appear as if I'm manic or not, and believe me, I have written some manic emails to my doctor. And by the way, just so you also understand, this rapid cycling has been a whole host of hypomania. An abundance of hypomania. I mean, I looked at some of my emails this week, and I don't even remember writing them. Two, three, four pages long. Interestingly enough, they all made sense, although one or two of them were kind of rambling and repetitive and saying the same things just with different structure and grammar and things of that nature. Uh, but essentially trying to get the same point, just saying it in ten different ways, which clearly indicates mania. Um, but I almost feel like we need to, if we decide to put it on our to-do list, rather than wait to explain the symptoms, I almost feel like it's a good idea for me to write her and call her, or either one, and let her know what I've been experiencing because if I wait too long and I see her next week, let's say, and I'm still feeling good, I'm telling you right now, there's a very good chance that I'm not even going to tell her what went on with me because we're too scared to start a new medication and we don't want to fix what isn't broken at the moment even though it might have been broken the week before because we crave, crave stability. We crave it. Yes, we love hypomania. I get that. But my God, we just crave it. So when we have those moments where our life seems like it's balanced, our moods are not upset or depressed, we're not looking to steal, we're not looking to cheat, we're not looking to... to oh God, what else? I mean engage in, you know, destructive gambling habits or, um, you know, lay in a bed all day long. When we're not feeling those things and just functioning like a normal everyday Joe Schmo, we don't want to break, we don't want to fix it because just by chance, if there's that little itsy bitsy chance that maybe I've turned the corner and this is it. My brain has adapted, and I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to be stable for the rest of my life, and I don't have to worry, and if I add a new medicine to the mix, well, I'm just going to go backwards. Well, that's really not the case. Granted, yes, you may encounter some side effects. You may even deal with a medication that doesn't work. You may deal with a medication that makes things worse. But we choose not to engage in them or even be honest with our doctors sometimes because we're afraid to fix something that appears to be working. And then, unfortunately, you want to talk about cycling. Whether you're a rapid ultra cycler or not, the same cycle holds true for, for most of us is when we don't call that doctor, 
because we are feeling good and we decide that we don't want to add anything into our mix because why do that since we're now feeling better and we've gotten quote unquote better we're not crying anymore we're good to go give it another week or two and you'll be right back where you are and it becomes that cyclical which is why I brought up cycling becomes that cyclical cycling effect of I feel horrible I'm sad I gotta call my doctor but I'm too weak to do it I'll do it tomorrow tomorrow comes you don't pick up the phone you're feeling better you put it off a little bit longer and before you know it you forget about it because life gets in the way and then you're feeling crappy again two weeks later and you say oh man why didn't I call the doctor (laughs) so those are the mistakes that Mr. Joe makes and what I'm doing to correct them just so everybody understands is when I call my doctor after I hit stop I am going to report the symptoms to her even though I'm not feeling them today so that when I go into her office based on whatever mood she might be in based on whatever mood I am in for that day I already have exposed what has been troubling Mr. Joe and I no longer have to rely on my irresponsible self to report on things that took place that I no longer want to report on because they're not happening currently and I'm afraid to address them so my solution is like I said to call her and and inform her doc I'm not feeling it today but here's what I felt yesterday and Sunday and Friday you know all those things and let her know. And uh, I guess that's Mr. Joe's lesson for today. I really, really, really missed you guys. And um, like I said, it's it's so disturbing to me when I'm not able to reach out. We went a little long today, guys. We're at 46 minutes now. I hope that that's okay. I know, I know we all got better things in life to do than to listen to Mr. Joe. But I'm really hoping that this um, kind of helps some of you out there. And we all got to catch up with one another. Um, reach out if you need to, Mr. Joe BP at yahoo.com or find me on Twitter uh, at Mr. Bipolar Joe. For those of you who are doing well with a mental illness right now, I ask that you continue to work hard. For those of you who love or care about somebody with a mental illness or a drug addiction, I ask that you try to support that person the best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental health issue, please, no matter what, Continue to fight, continue to battle, and most importantly, soldier on. Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. I absolutely love you guys, and I cannot wait to be back. Have a great day.